Hey, welcome everybody. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. My name is Brent Kuhlman. I'm here with Clint Poppy and Adam Moline, and we, uh, we've been just, you know, table talking it, uh, especially last week as we were making observations about what was happening in Washington, D.C. And I asked you gentlemen, you know, last week, you know, not just uh, everybody has their own political view of this, uh, pro and con to what's going on in Washington, D.C., but I tried to bring us to a theological understanding of what's happening in Washington, D.C., because er- everything revolves around the first commandment. Whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, I'm assuming Gerald Nadler's Jewish by race. I may be wrong. Uh, I, I, think he, I think he might be. In any event, that's irrelevant. And if I'm wrong on that, forgive me. I was just, I'm just guessing. In any event, uh, everything revolves around the first commandment. Do you fear, love, and trust in God above all things? If you do, you're going to be concerned about justice. If you don't, well, justice be damned, because you're God. You're the Genesis 3 believer of the satanic lie that you shall be as God. So Adam just called it up on his uh, internet and said, yeah, he's born in a Jewish family. All right, so I, w- I was correct in my guess. Now, I don't mean that. I didn't say that. Don't misunderstand. I did not say that to be anti-Semitic. I did not mean that in any way, shape, or form. So Adam Schiff, if you're listening, don't take that quote out of context and then call me anti-Semitic and then haul me off to Leavenworth. All right. Good Lord. I mean, you have to say this these days with these people who do not fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and they believe that they're gods unto themselves. And so then therefore, there is no such thing as real justice. And so I asked last week, you guys, I asked both of you, I said, so theologically, what's going on? And we identified the fact that uh, it's, it's, it's a God withinism. They're a bunch of God withiners. They, they think they're gods unto themselves, and therefore, justice be damned. And then I asked the next question. This is where I want to go to today. So what, how is this going to impact the Christian church in the United States? Huh? What do you think, Adam? <clears throat> well, I think it's going to be really bad for us in the long run should these things be allowed to continue the way they are. I think that um, the real Christian church stands for things that don't match with the religion of the United States. and if the, the Gnostic real, religion of the United States, as I've tried to point out. Yes. If, yeah, and if the real church continues to stand for the truth and the uh, Church of America stands against it, there will be a conflict there. And what that looks like, I think, is the part we don't know, but there will be the conflict. Well, I think we're seeing it in spades, the conflict. Yes. Name the topic. Life, gender, marriage, who is God? Can, can, can a Christian even speak his or her faith in the public square? Uh, let, me, let me say one other thing. I, t- I told my confirmation kids one day, and I forget what we were talking about, just for the, so for the sake of uh, saving time here. I told the kids, I said, do you realize that your, uh, the Bill of Rights and your, your rights as a Christian citizen have been taken away from you. And they were looking at me, what do you mean, Pastor? I said, when you go to school, are you allowed to speak about God publicly and about your faith in Jesus Christ publicly? And I said, you're not. You're not allowed suspended. to. suspended. That's right. Our kids here said they get suspended. Yeah, if they you're talk not. About God. And, I, and I said, your freedom of religion cannot be exercised in this country, and in particular, when you go to school. In other words, try it someday, kids. Try and ask, ask the teacher someday, I'd like to lead the class in prayer today. Let's pray, shall we? 
And particularly, like for example, if so, if there's something that happens at school, like at a like at a basketball game, a student uh, might have a grand mal seizure, and all the kids saw it, you know, that were in the stands, and they bring uh, the crisis team goes up to work, and then they bring in the counselors to school, and while the counselors are talking to you, all right, kids, try this. Say, Let's pray. I guarantee you, you'll be shut down immediately. You do not have the freedom of religion. Uh, I don't disagree. Or speech. I don't disagree, Brent, that there's those conflicts and those are already happening. I'm afraid the conflict that is in the future is much more violent and much more akin to a war right. like the 30 Years' War, or, I mean, World War II, something like that, where well, there's actually going to be conflict with people in the streets with weapons here in the United States and those who are of one viewpoint being eliminated. Well, and this is precisely, brothers, why I raised the remarks by the former Secretary of State and the former Senator of New York, Mrs. Hillary Clinton, who talked about people with regard to the two specific topics I think she had in mind on the campaign trail were those who were pro-life and who were pro-marriage between a man and a woman only. She, she not only called these people deplorables, but she called us irredeemable. So, Adam, this is, this is where I wanted to go. And I, I, I said it categorically last week, and I'm going to say it again this week to, to answer my question. What, what's the Christian church going to endure? Well, when you're irredeemable, there's no talking to people like you. I, I think, you know, we're, we're, we've said the things that are a little frightening for maybe our listeners, but maybe we ought to talk about the positive side of this. Well, we'll get to uh, that. that. We will. The, well, the, the point that... While we might be persecuted as a church, we might be arrested, we might be uh, told to change our beliefs or re-educated, however it might come about, that we don't know. Um, the truth of the matter is is that when the church stands for the truth in the face of persecution, God works in the church to bring about good. Uh, Tertullian, uh, I quoted this in Bible study this morning, which is why it's on my head, Tertullian said uh, in his work Apologeticus that this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and I think we have to keep that in the back of our mind as well. God is still in control and will work to proclaim his word and bring it about, no matter what happens to us in this life, uh, and we just need to know that. That's brilliant. And now, now we know we're dealing with a real pastor who talks like that. No. <laughs> yeah, ten years in, I'm finally a real pastor. <laughs> well, you understand what I'm no, trying to I, say. I do. This this is very helpful, Adam, and I'm glad you raised that because yeah, people can get the impression that it's it's all gloom and doom. There will be there's there's soft persecution going on now. The Chick Fil A, Chick Fil A has caved to the soft persecution, and then there's going to be hard persecution, no doubt. And what does Jesus say about this in Matthew five? He says, just as it happened with the prophets, so it'll be with you. They'll hate you, etc. And then what's he say? Rejoice. Rejoice. Count it all for joy. And you mentioned Tertullian, and just for the sake of discussion, wink, 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 wink here, I'm going to quote the Lord. I'm not saying you're wrong in quoting. No. Tertullian was right. But the Lord Jesus himself, you remember, said in Matthew's gospel that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church because Jesus will always have a church. And as the church speaks the truth, preaches the truth, prays the truth, lives the truth, she will be persecuted in many ways. And the Lord will use that for good. The, uh, 
place we quoted it in Bible study this morning was in the conversation about what happened to the church in Jerusalem after the death of Stephen. Right. Everybody ran away from right. Jerusalem and went to other places to live to escape that persecution. The thing that was the unintended consequence is they took the word with them. And I think and it started converting more and more people. Yeah, I'm topping the head of the, I'm, I'm doing this top of the head, but I think as they, they, they would go and speak the word of God boldly. Yes. Yes. Nothing could stop them, not even the authorities. That's exactly where we haven't got that far in our study, but that's where we're headed. So yes. I can't help myself, Gra- Clint. Grass withers, flowers fade. Yeah. The word of the Lord endures forever. Right. And I can't help myself. I, I hope I don't. Uh, offend you guys i mean who could ever offend guys like you but you know we're i'm an old man you're an old man clint and adam he's a very young man and of course and uh, handsome too yeah and handsome indeed that's why well in any event um you know we've been around the missouri senate a long time clint and i think you would agree with me that the missouri senate has had this itch all of our lives to grow i mean we're desperate to grow we'll do anything to grow right we're a sleeping giant, uh, that mythical quote from Billy Graham. Right, yes, yeah. that's exactly right. And, you know, lo and behold, one of these days, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod will grow, and it will grow in a way that we never even thought of our entire lives, and that's when the church is opposed by the state and uh, the governing authorities by saying, we forbid you, we forbid you to do marriage ceremonies this way. We forbid you to preach sermons this way. We forbid you to teach God's word this way. And when that happens, and it will, it will, it's going to happen, then the church will grow because people are going to finally have to, you know what, blank blank or get off the pot. Yeah, Yeah, they're going to have to decide. They're not going to be able to straddle the fence anymore with this lukewarm Christianity uh, that that the Lord despises, by the way. Revelation chapter 3 makes that very clear. Right. God wants nothing to do with Luke. If you're cold, well, at least I can convert you then. Yeah, the Lord will use all this for good. And that's why I'm so thankful that you raised this, Adam, at the beginning of our program today. Because, see, this, this, is, this is the book of Revelation. You gave us a summary of the book of Revelation without ever quoting it. And what am I talking about? The Lord Jesus has won the victory. And the devil will use unjust judges. I'm, I'm referencing our Lord's parable, you know, again in Luke. He will, even though there are unjust judges who the devil will use to try and destroy the church and distort, destroy God's creaturely institutions of home, family, church, and even civil authority, the Lord Jesus has won the victory and he reigns and the church reigns with him. And so the devil gets aped. He thinks he's going to win when, in fact, the Lord will actually use all the devil's evil, injustice, etc., what we're talking about today, and he will use it for good, and the devil is defeated. And we will see it with our eyes in the end when he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. (laughs) So don't despair, folks. Now, in the meantime, before Judgment Day or before your death and they bury you six feet under, pray and work. Do your work. In your vocation as a citizen. Ora et labora. Yeah, do your work as a citizen and pray. And, and if you have to suffer, suffer with joy. Count it all for joy. And as the Lord said, he promised his church, I'll give you the words to say. The Holy Spirit will speak through you when they, when they haul you before the kings and the judges and stuff like that. Don't worry. And, not, and, and you remember what he said about that? Not one of you will lose a hair of your head and you'll gain your life. And that John picks that up in the book of Revelation. Not one of you will lose your life. Instead, you gain it. 
you brought up Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know if that was in this program or if that was last week. It was last week. week, yeah. But you brought up Nebuchadnezzar, and, uh, you know, when the when the three men were thrown into the fiery furnace, uh, oh, not yes. a hair of their head was yes. uh, singed. Their clothing does not smell of fire. And there weren't three people walking around in the fire. There were four. And one was like the Son of God. We're never alone, are we, in the midst of our persecution, trial, and tribulation? I can't help myself since you raised that. I'm going I'm to paraphrase. Remember, the king goes to those three and says, I'm going to give you a second chance. And they won't, they won't uh, worship when they hear the orchestra play. And to paraphrase, they say, you know, you can throw us in the fiery furnace. Uh, the Lord will take care of us. He'll take care of us. Whether he saves us or not, we're not going to worship you as God. Jesus is Lord. So that's, what, that's the joy we're going to have if, they, if it gets that bad. The joy we will have will be, oh, God will take care of us. You can take our, our life, all our goods. This present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the truth. So if even, I mean, the likelihood is not terribly high, that, but if you got burned to death like St. Lawrence, who was grilled on one side and flipped over and grilled on the other side until he was dead, uh, that sounds pretty painful. But you compare the amount of time that takes to the first million years that he spends in God's kingdom of heaven, resurrected, perfect, whole, complete, that's really nothing. The gates of hell will not prevail. We'll be back after the break. So hold my hand, I'll walk with you, my dear. The stars creak as you sleep, it's keeping me awake. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. Well, we've, we've kind of tried to identify the, uh, the religion of what's going on in Washington, D.C., and I hope that was somewhat helpful. Um, now we want to continue our discussion from God's Word and how that gets confessed in the Apostles' Creed. So Jesus ascended into heaven. So he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what the scriptures teach, isn't it? That he ascended. And there are two main texts for that. And the first, of course, is in Luke's gospel. And I'm going to have some real fun with this. So Luke chapter 24 describes the ascension. Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he, he blessed them. Now, that's, we'll get to that in a minute. And then verse 51, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. That's the ascension at the end of Luke's gospel. Let's get the other part of it or the other account of it in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Adam, do you have that handy? Uh, I'm, I'm turning to it. I'm getting there, but say, you might have it. I don't have it open right in front of me. No. All right, I got it right now. So this is Acts 1 verse 6. The, old book, the book's faster than the telephone. How about that? Huh? <laughs> that ought to teach you folks something. I'm old school. I'm a T-Rex. I use books. <laughs> they, wait, they came together. They asked him, Lord, we at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons 
that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now do you have it, Adam? Get verse 8? Uh, yes. Go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and so to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so those are the the main texts that we have, and they're both from Luke, because Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And at one time, that was all one book. We've divided it. Okay. So Luke 24 and then Acts 1. Now let's, let's read a, a few more other scriptures that have to do with the ascension. I'm going to read from Ephesians 1, and it's verses 20 to 23. So the creed says that on the third day he rose again from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Is that what the scriptures teach? Yes, it does. In Ephesians 1, listen to this, starting verse 20. God seated him, that's Christ, at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his, namely Christ's feet, this would be the ascended Christ, and appointed him to be head over everything. Now listen to the next phrase. This is really important. We'll get to it later. He appointed Jesus to be head over everything. For what purpose? For the church. Oh, that's delicious. More on that later. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And since I'm in Ephesians, let's stay there. Let's go to Ephesians 4, where Paul writes in verse 10, he ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, uh, the, the creed says. Romans 8 teaches this. Christ is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's Romans 8, verse 24. And uh, in connection with that, 1 John 2, if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So, Pastor, is it fair to say that when the creed confesses he ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, that those two are intrinsically linked, the ascension and uh, seated at the right hand of the Father? Yeah. Do we, uh, we study them together? They, they are to be looked at and understood together? Yep. Uh, I like to speak of it this way. The ascension of our, of our Lord Jesus is his coronation. He's coronated. That is to say, he is king over all. Would you say his coronation actually happens on the cross as he's crowned in thorns, uh, given yes. the stick that they beat him in the face yes. with, robed in purple? Yeah. And so it's actually more the actual sitting in the throne room as the king. Uh, is well, the, the ascension, ascension. The, asc- it, it, the train. Yeah. 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 So he's, he, in, he's in court. Court is in session. And yeah. not it's all legal one, court. And it's all one... It's the whole enchilada, as I like to say. So, yes, to your question, of course. And so also is the ascension. And so he goes and he, and he sits on his throne now. Okay? This is his coronation, if you will. That's what I mean there. So it's a yes on the cross and a yes in his ascension. It's both. Okay? And did you notice in Luke's account, Luke 24, the gospel, 
Luke 24, that he blesses them. He, out, he reaches out with his hands and he blesses his church. See, this is what the ascension means. And this is why I said from the Ephesians text that he is the head over all things, the text says, for what reason? For the sake of his church. He's blessing them. So he's Lord of all, reigns over everything as the one who died, as the one who rose, and now as the ascended one, he reigns as head and he exercises his headship for the sake of the church, as Paul says in Ephesians, which means, I like to say it this way, that he lords his Good Friday forgiveness and everything that uh, counts for his believers in his resurrection, he lords it over them in his word and sacrament in the divine service. So the ascended king is, is physically present in the divine service. His throne is pulpit. His throne is the altar. His throne is the lectern by which he lords his Good Friday death and resurrection and all the benefits that go with us for his church. That's what the head does. He doesn't exist for himself. He reigns for his church. Make sense? Yeah, and then uh, say take it one step further. That's why then we act reverently in everything we do in the worship service yes. and even in the sanctuary itself. And I think that's something that we need to emphasize a little bit more again. And that's what he's doing. World. So when you go to church, the ascended Lord is not absent. You remember Acts says that they, he was hidden from their sight. The cloud hid him from their sight. It didn't mean he's gone. And when the Luke account says that, uh, I'll just simply read it, parted from them and was carried up to heaven. We hear that language. We think that Jesus has, is, is absent now. That's not what the text means. How can I say such a thing? Well, because you remember in Matthew 28, Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the ascension does not mean that Jesus is gone or is absent. It's just that we don't see him. He's still here with us. And I would contend, according to the Ephesians text, when Paul says that he ascended higher than all the heavens and that he fills the whole universe, I would contend, according to that verse, that Jesus is, now just pardon my way of saying it, Jesus, the ascended Jesus, is now more present with us than he was with his disciples when he walked on the earth and taught them for three years. Pastor, I, I marvelous teaching with regard to the ascension. The majority of Christians in America would laugh and scoff at everything that you just said. Would they? Because the ascension of Jesus is a nothing. Jesus is at the right hand of God. He is stuck there, and we are on our own. And we have to go up to him. We either have to go up to him uh, spiritually, mentally, uh, in a Gnostic way to kind of tie in with what we've been talking about. This is, I think, where this Gnostic stuff creeps its way into the church. Jesus isn't really here. And physically he's not, isn't here. He's not physically here, so we have to do it on our own. And so why is it? How is it? How is it possible that the ascension of our Lord has become such a nothing in so much of Christianity in the world, but especially in the United States, where Reformed and Evangelical Christianity seem to make up uh, the majority of Christians. Well, I think it has to do with uh, their philosophical presuppositions, and you hinted at that in your, 
your question. And the philosophical presuppositions are platonic. And Ulrich Zwingli was very platonic. Remember Ulrich Zwingli was a reformer in Luther's day, Swiss. And he had a philosophical platonic supposition in which he said that the Holy Spirit, or God himself for that matter, cannot use anything physical to convey any divine or eternal benefits. What's that Latin phrase? The... uh the finite is not capable of the infinite. Yes, yes. Uh, which means Christ cannot be present in bread and wine in the Lord's Supper, in the water of holy baptism. Uh, that's just, uh, it's mentally not possible. Yeah, and so when it comes to the ascension, so Jesus cannot be physically present with us on the earth. That's just philosophically impossible, can't be done. But the Bible teaches differently. Remember, Paul speaks uh, this in the New Testament, that the mystery that's been revealed is that Christ is among us. Now, I know the English translation is in us, but that's a double entendre in the... It should be... It can be both. Not only in us, but among us. That's the mystery. It's a both and. Yeah. It's a both and. And I I think we miss the among us when Paul writes... I think it's in Colossians, I think, where he writes that. It is, and I think we we miss... Uh, one of the Bible passages you said, we missed the significance of Ephesians 4, uh, where Christ fills all things. Isn't that Ephesians yes. 4? Early, early verses of Ephesians 4, where Christ fills all things. If he's stuck in heaven, how can he fill all things? Right. So you're calling God a liar if you, if you hold to this, uh, that the ascension is nothing. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I am among you as one who serves in Luke's account of the Lord's Supper, which, so that every time Jesus celebrates the supper in his church, he is among us as one who serves based upon his promise in Luke's gospel. Uh, what, what we want to try and help people understand here with the ascension of our Lord is it doesn't mean that he's gone and that it's up to us to travel up to him. It's just the opposite. He now fills everything, and now he's more present with us in his word and sacrament than he was with his disciples when he walked three years and taught them. I can't emphasize that enough. And so when we come back next week, I want to have fun with this and illustrate how Lutheran churches illustrated this biblical fundamental point that Jesus is still with us. I haven't heard the music yet, so I'm going to keep going until I hear the music. So at Trinity Murdoch, at Emmanuel Louisville, and maybe in congregations in North Dakota where you used to serve. I don't know about West Point where you grew up. But a lot of the old Missouri Synod churches, when they built their altars, they were high altars. And there was always a statue of somebody on the altar. Who do you think that statue was? Jesus. Jesus. And which Jesus in particular? The ascending Jesus with his hands outstretched in blessing, just like it's described in Luke 24. Touchdown Jesus. Yeah, Notre Dame has touchdown Jesus. Trinity Murdoch has pass interference Jesus. But the point is, is that you were taught what the ascension means, is when you come to the divine service, he's there physically blessing you in word and sacrament. Well, I can't wait till next week when we talk more about this. Stay Lutheran, my friends.